Well, I invite you now to turn with me in your Bibles. We're going to read together from uh, the Gospel according to John, John 17. I'm uh, anticipating, uh, if it's the Lord wills and it works out, uh, to preach from this chapter for, uh, for the next few weeks, um, even as we are uh, leading up to remembering uh, Easter, the, uh, the suffering, the death, and then the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. John chapter 17, uh, today we're really focused on verse 1 through to 5, uh, but because it's the first time we're going through it, we will read the, the entire chapter, and then we'll also read from Philippians chapter 2. John 17. So Jesus is in the, the, the upper room. Uh, these are just the moments before his, uh, his crucifixion. Uh, he's just uh, told the, his disciples what would happen, and also he just said to them in verse 33 of chapter 16, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now chapter 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in the truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, and you have that which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my that, sorry, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, and they also, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, and that, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, 
even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So, Father, reading from John chapter 17, uh, we'll also turn now to uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through to 11. So in Paul's letters, you get Galatians, Ephesians, and then you get Philippians before Colossians. And we'll read chapter 2, verse 5 to 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So, Father, reading from God's Word, uh, we'll sing together from our book of praise from Psalm 104. It's a psalm which uh, speaks of the glory of God in creation. And we're going to sing Psalm 104, verse 1, and then verse 8.
Well, as I mentioned, I wish to really focus on John chapter 17, verse 1 through to 5 this morning. So let's just read these verses again. John 17, verse 1 to 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, I I want you just to, if you have your Bible still open, just to have have another look at verse 1 and just to ponder about this for a moment. Verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come, and now this. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. I want you to think about that. But what Jesus is praying for, and the context in which he's praying this. He's praying for glory, and he's praying for his own glory, first of all. Which in turn would bring glory to the Father, to God the Father. And the reason why he's praying this now, he says, is because the hour has come. The hour or the time of his crucifixion and death. So why did Jesus pray this? Of all the things that must have been going through his mind as he anticipated his death, why did Jesus pray for glory. Why is Jesus so passionate about this? Why does he begin this prayer in this way? Isn't it a bit odd? Doesn't it even sound wrong that Jesus is praying for glory? Even to pray for his own glory? What is it about him? And what is it about that which he was to do that makes this prayer appropriate? And now think about yourself and about your prayers. What are you praying for? What is your passion? And what's on your mind as you pray? What's the burden on your heart? And where does glory, and specifically God's glory, come into your thinking and into your prayers? And how does the hour that the Lord Jesus referred to in John 17, how does that cause you to give glory to both God the Father and to God the Son? We're turning to John 17, verse 1 to 5 this morning. I preach God's word to you about this. This is my message. The Son's passion is for the Father's glory. The Son's passion is for the Father's glory. Two points. First, God's glory revealed. And second, God's glory recognized. So God's glory revealed. So Jesus uh, begins in in John chapter 17. It begins with Jesus lifting up his eyes to heaven. In other words, he is uh, focused on on God in heaven. He's he's about to pray. This was a regular way of praying or so, an appropriate way or so. This is where God is. 
in his glory, and so he's praying to God in heaven. He lifts up his eyes to him. It would have been in a room probably still, this, this, this upper room, the place where they had celebrated the first Lord's Supper together. Jesus had given uh, many messages, uh, warnings, but also words of comfort to his disciples and telling them of what was to come as well. And now he, he, he prays to God. He, he looks to God the Father and he says, Father, the hour has come. Jesus knew the timing in which he was praying this. He knew what was going to happen to him. He knew why it was going to happen to him. He's also aware that all of history, from the time that God had met with Adam and Eve in the garden after they'd eaten from that tree, the fruit of the tree, that time, all of history, it had been working and culminating to this time when Jesus would be suffering and when he would be hanging there and dying on that cross, and of course being resurrected from the dead and so forth after that. This is what history, this is what all of life, this is what everything was, was building up to. Now even up until this point, even in his own ministry, up until now, the hour had not yet come. And there were times also in the Gospel of John where we read Jesus actually making it clear, or John himself made it clear, the hour had not yet come. Uh, John chapter 2, for example, uh, at the time of his first miracle, turning water into wine at the, at the wedding feast in Cana. It says there in, in John chapter 2, verse 4, uh, that Jesus said to his mother Mary, he said, My hour has not yet come. And then again in John chapter 7, uh, Jesus' brothers, they, they try to encourage him to go to the feast in Jerusalem to declare himself to be the Messiah. And then Jesus says to his brothers, he says in John 7 and John John 6, sorry, John 7, verse 6 and verse 8, he says, I'm going up to the feast. He says, but my time has not yet fully come. And that's why he says, I'm not going up. And then later on, when he does go to Jerusalem and he begins his teaching there, there were people there who were angry and they wanted to arrest him. But it says in John 7, verse 30, no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. The same thing happens in John chapter 8, verse 20. But even as it says in John again and again, his hour had not yet come, it's indicating that one day his hour would come. And when we speak of hour here, it means a time which God had determined for something to happen. When he would come to do that, which God had specifically set him apart to do. And it was in John chapter 12 after the Lord Jesus had ridden into Jerusalem on that donkey on Palm Sunday, the week before his crucifixion, that Jesus first said that his hour has come. It's in John chapter 12. He said John, that in John 12 verse 23. But what was that hour? And what was the time? That had come. Well, this is where the Lord says something very surprising. John chapter 12, verse 23. Jesus answered them the, and to his disciples The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, that's surprising. 
because we know, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself knew what lay ahead of him. We know that this would be the hour or the time of his death. And it would not be an easy death. Of course, no death is easy. And the agony he would go through in his death, it would be intense. And later on, he would even pray that if it's the Lord's, the Father's will to take the cup from him. But in John chapter 12, even as he's troubled about the suffering that's waiting for him, his focus wasn't glory. Let me read that. John chapter 12, verse 27. He said, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Oh, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. That's John 12. And now in John 17, when the time had crept even closer to the time of his death, it's this glory that Jesus is praying for again. But why? Why did Jesus pray for glory and why is it so important for him that the Father might be glorified in his death? Well, when Jesus prays for glory, this is not something which is new. Throughout its pages from Genesis to Revelation, we learn about the glory of God. Uh, we sang Psalm 104, Psalm 104 verse, verse 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O oh, my Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. And so here we have that description of God and His glory. And notice that God is described here, as He is in other parts of Scripture, as being in this, 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 with the sensation of bright light. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, 16 describes God as the one who dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen nor can see. But God's own glory, it is so great. It's so great then that sinful man cannot see Him. We sing about that in that hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. And yet at the same time, it's not as though God's glory is absent altogether. There is a reflection of God's glory, even now. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies above proclaim His handiwork. Psalm 8, verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. You have set Your glory above the heavens. And so it is that even at this time, when sinful man cannot look upon the, the full glory of God, it's not as though His glory is totally absent. And it's not just the sun or the earth that proclaims God's glory, but we too were created for His glory. And the Psalms then call us and command us to glorify God. I think, for example, Psalm 34, verse, verse 3. Uh, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Another way of saying glorify Him. Oh, magnify, make Him great. And let us exalt His name together. Psalm 86, verse 9. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. And so all creation of all of heaven, all of earth, most certainly all the people of this earth, they are here to glorify God's name. As the Westminster Catechism puts it, the chief end of man 
is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And by the way, that's why, that's why the fall into sin was so bad. Sure, the fall into sin meant that Adam and Eve were sent out of the garden, out of the presence of, of the Lord. We tend to think about the fall into sin, about its, its consequences upon us as human beings, uh, rightly in many ways. But what in many ways is even worse then is that the fall into sin meant that God was no longer receiving the glory that was due His name. And it was to restore this glory that God decided to save a people for Himself. And it's, it's, it's important that we think about it this way. Yes, regularly when we think about the gospel, regularly when we think about salvation, we think about the fact that God created us holy and good and righteous. We fell into sin. We had separated from God's presence. God had a plan to bring us back into His presence and so that we can be with Him again. It's all very, very true. And it's all very, very right and appropriate that we consider these things. And yet at the same time, do not forget what the fall into sin did for God's glory. That we who were created in His image would no longer glorify Him, but reflected the image of Satan. And it is indeed to correct this that God was determined to have a people for Himself. Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. Let me quote that. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, and whom I formed and made. Did you hear that? God created them for His glory. And so He's calling them back, so He's got a people for Himself. Also, Isaiah 43, 20 and 21. I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I'm formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. It's another way of declaring my glory. Why did God save them? Why did He form a people for Himself? Why did He choose them? So they might declare His praise, declare His glory. And then once more, it was also for His glory that God forgave His people. Also Isaiah 43, verse 25. I, I am He who blots out your transgressions, that is, who forgives your sins for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. For his own sake, he will forgive the sins of his people. For his glory. That's why also the Bible says he chooses us and he saves us to the praise of his glorious grace. And that helps us understand then what Jesus is praying for in John chapter 17, verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. It would be through the cross. It would be through His death and burial that Christ would be glorified and in Him the Father also. When the Lord Jesus came to earth, He, he came to a world that had rejected God's authority that refused to give Him glory, that was enslaved to sin and to Satan. But it was into the darkness of this world that the light of God's glory would shine in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. John 1 verse 14, John says, We have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And 
So Jesus came to declare God's glory. But now listen to this. The way that God the Son revealed the glory of God the Father was by first of all setting his own glory aside. Glory that was rightfully his from before the creation of the world. He set this glory aside by becoming a man. And now the hour had come when he would set that glory aside even more to the point of death is even death on a cross. Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, that he's going to hold on to this and he's always going to hold on to his own glory and he's never going to let go. But, verse 7, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. It's Philippians chapter 2, 5 to 8. And, and, and this is then what Jesus is referring to. And this is what he's anticipating when he prays in John chapter 17 that his hour had come. It would not be easy. By the way, we refer this to this event, we refer to it as, as the passion of Christ. In that sense, my, my theme has a little bit of a, a double meaning there with that word passion. Uh, when we speak about the passion of Christ, that comes from a Latin word where passion really means suffering. So the passion of Christ is the suffering of Christ. Jesus would suffer like nothing the world had ever seen or would see again. Oh, it was horrible. It was horrible for our Lord to be crucified. There would be the pain and there would be the shame. But the greatest thing of all, which is the horror here, is that through his crucifixion, our Lord Jesus Christ would suffer the curse. He would be placed under God's curse. Cursed is every man who hangs on a tree, the Lord had said in Deuteronomy. And that then, Galatians says, would apply to Jesus himself. Because he would be hanging from that tree of the cross. And by being cursed, he would then be forsaken, because this is what cursed means. He would be rejected, he would be forsaken by heaven and earth. He Indeed, he would be forsaken by God the Father himself. That's what would happen to Jesus, the Son of God. Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, Jesus prayed. But the way... To glory would be through suffering, through being forsaken, through bearing the curse to the point of death on a cross. It is in this way that the glory of God would be revealed. But how come? How could this be? How could the most shameful event in all of history give such glory to the Father and glory to the Son? Well, we'll see this now in our second point, God's glory recognized well before we go on to see how the cross brought glory to God we do need to, to face up to something because for some of you there's probably a question which is niggling away at the back of your brains 
And that question is not just how the crucifixion could bring God glory, but why does God do all things for his own glory in the first place? And why does Jesus go so far in John chapter 17 as to pray for glory for himself? Father, he said, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. In one way, it just doesn't seem right that God would do all things for his own glory. And when it comes to the Son of God, it seems even more peculiar that he who humbled himself, who, who set his glory aside, that he would pray so openly for his own glory now, especially at this time, just before he would humble himself even to the point of death on the cross. Why does Jesus pray for this? And why does God want this? Now, from a human perspective, from a human perspective, seeking your own glory does not sit well, and it shouldn't. Oh, we like it when people do well in sports, business, or in life. But we don't like it when they think that they've become someone, when they become proud when they think that they are better, more worthy than others, and when they get there, when they bask in their own glory, then, then we're not so thrilled. Not only us, but God himself is not pleased because that's the sin of pride. But now what about God? What about God the Father? What about God the Son? Jesus prays, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And verse 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. What's this all about? What we need to understand here is that in revealing His glory, God is not taking something that was not his to start with. And this is what Jesus really focused on in verse 5. He's not taking something that was not his. Verse 5. Glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Nor is the Lord one among equals. Where he's in a bit of a squabble and trying to, to get him become you know, the top of the pecking order, so to speak, trying to exalt himself above all others. For God to do all things for his own glory, it is not sinful pride. Rather, he is simply revealing himself for who he is. Now, that's important for us to understand here. God is simply revealing himself for who he is. And the greatest way that God has revealed himself to us and has revealed his greatness and his glory to us is in the sending of his own son, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God has shone into our hearts the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in, in giving to us Jesus. 
Jesus Christ, therefore, came to declare the Father to us. John 1 verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. We haven't seen Him. But the Son of God, Jesus, makes Him known. And the consequence of that, the consequence of the Son making the Father known to us, is for us eternal life. Yes, eternal life for all those whom the Father has given the Son. John chapter 17, 1 to 3. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so this then is the point of God revealing His glory. It is so that we might know Him. We were created for His glory. We were created in His image to reflect that glory. We were created to glorify Him. And now God reveals His glory to us, the glory that He has had, that the Son has also had before the creation of the world. He reveals that to us so that we might know Him, that we might honor Him for who He is. And God has revealed Himself to us in sending Jesus' Son to this world to be a human being. He's revealed Himself in all that Jesus came to do. And He especially reveals Himself to us in the suffering, in the death, the burial, and then the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because what the cross displays to us is God's love, God's justice, God's mercy. He shows us His love in that He gave us His own Son, His own Son, so that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He shows us His justice in that He did not and would not leave sin unpunished but punished it rather in the bitter and the shameful death of His own Son, Jesus Christ. And He showed us His mercy by sending His Son to suffer and to die in our place. What Jesus was about to do was to take the place of all those whom the Father had chosen to save, and so those whom he might, would save might rightly get to know him, might get to love him, and therefore might get to glorify him. So how then would the Son be glorified in the cross? It would be by declaring his authority over all flesh, as it says in John 17 verse 2, that he would most certainly save and give eternal life to all those whom the Father had given him. His death would not be in vain because through His death He would bring glory to God, yes, and glory to Himself, saving the people whom He had come to save. Philippians 2, verse 9 to 11 now. Therefore God has highly exalted Him, Jesus, and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
And why? To the glory of God the Father. And that's why Jesus, that's what he looked forward to when the hour had come for him to go to the cross. For the joy that was set before him, Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and now is seated at the right hand of, of the throne of God. Or as Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And that's why the son's passion is for the father's glory. His passion in that his suffering is for the father's glory. And his passion that he's doing this for the father's glory. Because this is the reason for all things. This is the reason for creation. This was the reason for salvation. This is the reason for our ultimate glorification. It is so that all might be to the glory and praise of His glorious grace. That God might be revealed to us. That we might see Him for who He is and as He is. And that we may praise Him and glorify Him. And now let's go back to ourselves. Let's think back to our own lives, to our own words, to our own prayers. So what are we praying for? What's your passion? What is the burden of your heart? And where does glory, and specifically God's glory, come into your thinking and into your prayers? This is eternal life, Jesus prayed, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So do you know Him? Do you honor Him? Do you live for His glory? Life can be a bit of a struggle here on earth, a bit of a tussle, a bit of a contest. We're all looking for success. We're all seeking approval. We're all wanting to be recognized for who we are and what we've achieved. But the glory of Christ changes all of that. Jonathan Edwards, an English Puritan from uh, a time long ago, he once said, God's purpose for my life was that I have a passion for God's glory and that I have a passion for my joy in that glory and that these two are one passion. A passion for God's glory and a passion that I might have joy in His glory. You see, this is what it's all about. This is what life is all about. This is what everything is all about. That all of life and all of creation is to the glory of God. And when we get that, that's going to change who we are. That changes what we live for. That changes what we do. Because our passion... Our real passion is no longer us. It's no longer our legacy. It's no longer how we are seen in the eyes of anybody of this world. But our passion is God. It's knowing Him. It's glorifying Him. But the amazing thing is this. The more we do it, and the more we glorify Him, the more we not only 
praise His glory. But the more we reflect it, and the more we share in it. One final Bible verse is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, where it says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Did you hear that? We may, without our face being veiled, as we look upon the glory of God, we ourselves are being transformed or changed so that we might participate in that glory of God, as it says, from one degree to another. We beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the image of God, being transformed into His likeness, we bear His image, true righteousness, true holiness, true goodness. A passion for His glory means that we will share in that glory so that our glory might reflect His glory and so that He might receive even greater praise. And that's the end, or that's the goal of all things. Because then God's glory would be known and God's glory would be recognized. Then all creation will see His glory and all things will give Him praise. Amen.